welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy Baseball today on a Thursday, June 18th. Frank Stamfel alongside Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on this show, we are going to be giving out some player comps to some MLB prospects, some top prospects. And we're going to take a look at Scott's top 75 outfield ranks for Dynasty Leagues. But of course, guys, and I'm starting to believe that Jeff Passan and Heyman and all these guys, they know when the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast is recording. Because every day when we're about to get started or right when we get started, they tweet out something new. So here's the latest from Jeff Passan is that apparently the MLB Players Association is getting ready to counter-propose with 70 games. Of course, yesterday the MLB proposed 60. And Chris, you believe, will wind up somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I, Jason Stark, I think, is the one who tweeted it. It just makes the most for the most sense for the schedule. You would play each team in your own division 12 times. You would play your interleague rival six times. And then you would play every other team in the opposite division four, three times. And so that comes out to 66 games. It's the only way to have a balanced schedule uh, in this situation. I guess you could do 70 games with a balanced schedule and you just play every team in the other division four times, two, two teams at each uh, spot, but yeah. I'm going to guess Major League Baseball is not going to go for a 70-game season, so 66 is going to be. But here's the thing, Chris. Here's the thing. Get if him, Scott. Set, if, if one side, if if the players propose 70 and the owners propose 60, settling at 66 would mean the players win. Ooh. Can't have that. You it's going to be 65. <laughs> some- schedule unbalanced. At some point, you would think Major League Baseball would want to uh, give some kind of perception that they are not solely concerned with crushing the players and maybe develop a little bit of goodwill. Oh, no. And maybe they'll give them the one game. I predict this is going to go down to the wire. Like, we're going to get a, a counter from 70. It's going to be 64 from the owners. Then it's going to be 66 <laughs> from the players. And then we'll settle at 65. I mean, the way that everything else has gone, that just seems the most likely route so far. So, uh, there you go. The latest in the days of our baseball lives. I did want to start off with this question, though. Uh, Scott, I know that you generally have a rule that you follow while drafting this year where you want at least four of your... Is it top 35 pitchers now, Scott? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's 35. I, I mean, I've, I've kind of started to include Jesus Lizardo in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence whether to include like Shohei Otani in there. But just for simplicity's sake, let's say four of the top 35. Yeah. Yeah, so I started thinking earlier today, I'm writing my uh, breakouts 2.0. Spoiler alert. Max Fried is on the list. And I came up with the conclusion that I cannot leave a draft this season without one of Max Fried, Zach Gallen, or Frankie Montas on my team. I have to have at least one of them. Whether it's my, ideally SP4, but SP3, maybe you can get away with it. 
but I need at least one of those guys. And they're all ranked inside my top 30. So that's my rule for this draft season, something I have to do. Scott is trying his best to get four of his top 35 and basically every mock, I, I believe that you've done it. Chris, do you have a rule that you were trying to follow, something that you need to do throughout this draft season? Um, not really. I, I, mm. I tend to be pretty flexible. When it comes to my drafts, you know, but we're on I, YouTube. So why don't you, uh, show off some well, of your uh, flexibility? Basically, I wouldn't say I'm particularly flexible. Um, <laughs> but you know, mentally I, I can do a lot of mental gymnastics really. And, uh, no, for me, it, it's, you know, remember Heath snips. Yes. No intentional. I wasn't around for Heath snips. Strategy. That that is my rule. Remember, always think about Heath Snips. Um, yeah, not no intentional positional strategy, which is basically, you know, especially when it comes to hitting. Like, there's no positional scarcity is dead. You know, except for catcher, and a little bit second base. But really, it's like nowhere near where it used to be, even at second base. So, you know, at this point, I, I don't I don't care what positions I'm filling out. If I have three shortstops in a roto league then I have three shortstops in a roto league and a shortstop in my utility. Like, that's fine. If those are the best players available, if I get to a point where Corey Seager is the best player available and I've got a shortstop and a corner infielder, Corey Seager's the pick. And so, you know, for me, it, it's really just reminding myself to stay flexible because I find when I go into a draft saying, I want this guy specifically in this draft, that's when I tend to kind of go off the rails because – you know, I'm probably going a little too long than what you wanted here. But, you know, what one thing I, I always like to think about, and, you know, I talked about it when we were talking about Chris Archer, is like the name of the player doesn't matter. And so when you go into a league, and I'm not criticizing your strategy because I really like Zach Allen and Hayes Lizardo and I want them. But when you do, when you say, like, I want that player, you can end up overpaying for that player when there's another player with a very similar profile who will go later. And so that's always, you know, in, in any fantasy draft that I do, it's flexibility. That's why I have three players in that group, Chris. I don't want to handcuff myself. I know you're saying you don't want to say, oh, going into a draft, I need to have you on Moncada right. or I have and to have Luis Robert or something like that. That's why yeah. for me, you know, probably my three biggest breakout starting pitchers are Montas, Gallen, and Max Fried. And that's why they're all ranked inside my top 30. So and I need to come away the, with one of them. They're going dra- they're being drafted relatively in the same range. Yeah. So, you know, what you can do is when the first one goes off the board, maybe you don't want to, you, you probably shouldn't be the first person to draft one of those three. But once the first one goes off the board, that's when in your head you say, the next pick's going to be one of those two. Um, that way you can kind of hopefully guarantee you'll get at least one of them like you want without having to pay a premium necessarily. News and notes. We haven't had a lot recently uh, outside of just a bunch of proposals and counter proposals, but I did retweet a video of Aaron Hicks taking some batting practice today in Tampa. So just a reminder that he should be ready to go. And we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now at this point, any interest just across the board in Aaron Hicks guys. That's going to be just kind of ruins things, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's already a very messy situation. Like that's, What's what's odd is all those injuries the Yankees suffered in the first spring training. It really 
it really brought clarity to the lineup and you saw the value of guys like Miguel Andujar and, and Luke Voigt spike. And now, now both Stanton and, and presumably judge are going to be healthy. Hicks. Are, are we sure Hicks is going to be healthy right away? That's, that's still in doubt. Right. But he could be healthy pretty soon. And um, yeah, where are they going to fit all those guys? I'm guessing Hicks would get priority in the lineup over Brett Gardner, but I don't, I don't know that for sure probably is going to be some sort of timeshare until one distinguishes himself and timeshare are always bad in fantasy, but especially in a shortened season where you can't count on much season being left by the time they do figure things out. Reminder, Aaron Hicks averaged 3.3 fantasy points per game in 2018. That was tied for 10th best among outfielders with teammate Aaron judge with Michael Brantley with Whit Merrifield I think that the Yankees could just go full Tampa Bay this year and just completely be so frustrating where, you know, one day it's Hicks, one day it's Gardner, they're resting Stanton here, they're resting Judge here so those guys can be healthy for the postseason, presumably. Uh, Clint Frazier could be in the mix, Andujar could be in the mix. Just would not surprise me if the Yankees go full Tampa Bay this season. Prospect player comps. want to jump in here. We've done these for a few of the top prospects already. And I wanted to start things off with Joey Bart, who is regarded as uh, the number two catching prospect in all of baseball behind Adley Rutschman. He is the number one prospect in the Giants organization. He is 23 years old. He was the second overall pick in 2018. Last year, hit 278 with 16 home runs and an 824 OPS across high A and double A. Chris, what do you think about Joey Bart? And if you had to slap a player comp on him for the future, who would it be? A uh, catcher is definitely the hardest position to do this for. Because this was well, tough. <laughs> there, there's like two good catchers in the entire league. And I guess you could say JT Romuto, although I don't think he has that kind of athleticism. So it's not a perfect comp. Um, I don't know. Now, I'm, Yasmani Grandal. That's what I was wor- thinking. Worst plate discipline. But Yasmani Grandal. He's not going to you know, be a, a high on base guy, but there is some swing and miss in his game. There's some pop. It's, that seems like the most reasonable comp. Yeah, Scott, I was thinking Salvador Perez, too, with a few more walks. You know, not a 3 or 4% walk rate, but maybe a 250 to 260 bat with 20 home runs in his prime. Might be tough to get to 20 playing in San Francisco, but he does lift the ball a decent amount. So I was thinking Salvador Perez with a few more walks. What do you think about Joey Bart, uh, Scott? Yeah, I think those comps are fine. And um, to me, it kind of seemed they, they kind of seem like downside comps, though. You know, I, I think the upside is best catcher in fantasy. And, you know, it, it's really hard to find a comp for that because there are so few catchers. There, there are a few like archetypes to work with at the position, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he has that kind of upside. I think power is going to be his best tool. A question how much average he's going to hit for, but. You know, he's he's established so little of what he can be in the minors so far. So a lot of it is uh, it's pretty wide open. Can I can I here here's a comp that's not necessarily like a player comp, but it's a situational comp that could kind of hinder him. All right. I mean, it could be like a Carson Kelly because Buster Posey is under contract for three more years. Brandon Belt is under contract for another year after 2020. So it's not necessarily a sure thing that they can just move Buster Posey to first base all the time. 
And there's also the possibility that Buster Posey does have a bounce back season now that he's, you know, got a full, a full off season plus to, to rest when, you know, he didn't in 2019 because he was coming off that hip surgery. So, you know, if Buster Posey does have a resurgence, then we could be looking at a situation where Joey Bart, you know, has to wait for a couple of years, which, you know, catchers take a long time to develop anyway, so it's not the worst thing. But there's at least a chance we don't really see much of him in 2020. Well, he'll probably be on the roster if it's expanded. Yeah. But you know. Yeah, already right. 23 years old, so I don't know, you know how much longer he is going to be down there. But you're right, they do take longer to develop. Trade away yeah, Brandon like 20, Belt. Come on, man. Get rid of Brandon Belt. Get him out of like here. That's like 20 for, for a non-catching prospect, you know? Fair enough. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not confident Buster Posey is going to be worth playing. For I'm not confident he's worth playing now, but they're not going to rush Bart, obviously. Yeah, and I think they kind of owe it to Posey. It's almost like yeah. Joe Maurer with the Twins, right? Like, they can't just dump him because then the fan base will just get... Yeah, they'll be up in arms. Oh, the, the fan base is, the fan base was over Joe Maurer by the end. Well, yeah, but that was <laughs> that was dumb. Like let's just put like Buster Posey won three World Series rings. You know, like it's true. He's the he's kind of the face of the franchise post Willie Mays at this point because you know they kind of sort of pretend Barry Bonds doesn't exist. Yeah, I I thought it was a duo in terms of like the faces. It was like him and Mad Bum. Obviously, yeah, Mad Bum's not there anymore, so it's all Buster Posey. Let's move on to Andrew Vaughn, the number two prospect in the White Sox organization, the third overall pick in last year's MLB draft, 2019. Scott, you have him ranked as your 13th prospect in your top 100 prospects on CBSSports.com uh, and regarded as the top first base prospect in baseball. Maybe Spencer Torkelson takes that now. Uh, but you're looking at a 60-grade hit tool, 60-grade power. Scott, you have uh, Vaughn ranked very high. What do you see for the future of Andrew Vaughn? I think I think the upside for Vaughn is like first-round caliber. Uh, but a more reasonable comp, let's go with like, uh, mm, I don't know, maybe like, he has really good play discipline. Anthony Rizzo might be setting the bar a little high there with the strikeouts. Maybe like Josh Bell, what Josh Bell was last year. But like I, I think he has a very high floor and a very high ceiling, Andrew Vaughn. And, and um, you know, anytime you see somebody who's defensive, has de- clear defensive limitations like that, drafted as a first baseman, he goes that early. I, you know, that that's pretty indicative of that. I mean... One, I think he's probably the top. If you're if you had a rookie draft this season, or if you haven't done it yet, you know, like an entry draft based on last year's draft, you know, he's probably the top pick. You know, I think even over Adley Rushman, just because there's so much more that can go wrong for a catcher, which that says a lot about what kind of prospect he is. Like Scott said, going third as a first baseman only, like your best case scenario is first base, and you're probably going to end up being a DH, which is what it sounds like for him. Uh you got to have a really good bat, and he does. I think Anthony Rizzo is a, a fair comp. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had a t- like 12% walk or strikeout rate in college with 33 strikeouts and 60 walks, um, which is just unbelievable. He struck out 18 times in 256 plate appearances in 2018 as well. Like that's that's an absurd hit tool. So, 
you know, Anthony Rizzo is not too optimistic. Paul Goldschmidt, you know, without the, the stolen bases, you know, peak Paul Goldschmidt is probably not too optimistic. Uh, and I think a reasonable comp is Jose Abreu, his future teammate. Uh, better walks, but the hit tool and power, you know, could be it could be that same kind of combination. Yeah, I was thinking Anthony Rizzo. You guys hit it on the head there. Great plate discipline. Doesn't strike out all that much. I think on the high end, you could be talking about Freddie Freeman. Scott, you yeah. mentioned, you know, a potential first-round fantasy contributor in Andrew mm-hmm. Vaughn. If he turns out mm-hmm. to be you know, a 280 bat, maybe even 300 hitter with 30 home runs. I mean, that's pretty much who Freddie Freeman is. He's not going to give you anything in terms of steals. And, of course, the plate discipline, the walks are going to uh, help a ton for points leagues. I think we're probably looking at a, you know, 360, 370 OBP type of guy here in Andrew Vaughn. So, uh, yeah, lots to like there from a fantasy perspective. Scott, Drew Waters, he's a very interesting name, and I was – Digging in today to the profile, um, obviously a prospect in the Braves organization, their number two prospect, second round pick in 2017. He's 21 years old. He had 309 last year with seven home runs and 16 steals between double A and triple A. What stands out to me, Scott, 29% strikeout rate. This is not a typo. 435 Babbitt. Yeah. That is just trying to come up with a player comp for him was. A little tough, I will say. Yeah, no, it it is. I mean, a player who strikes out that much in the minors better have serious power potential. And he hasn't, he has a lot of extra base hits. This, the, the scouting reports give him a high power, you know, a pretty good power ceiling better than he's shown so far. Um, but what, you know, he, he has the sort of batted ball profile that should lend itself to a high Babbitt, kind of like we talk about with Brian Reynolds. Um, but not 435. I mean, that's obviously not something that's sustainable at a major at the major league level. And he seems to strike out a lot more than Brian Reynolds does. So Brian Reynolds doesn't seem like a fair comp. I I look at Drew Waters, and this is not probably a useful comp to this audience, but like I immediately think of Drew Stubbs, and Drew Stubbs ended up having not such a great outcome, but he was highly regarded. He seemed like it seemed like the tools were similar. Maybe. Maybe he didn't have as much uh, profile for the high Babbitt the same way Waters does, and so maybe Drew Stubbs was destined to fail a little more than Waters is. But, I mean, Waters could absolutely bust as much as he strikes out. It's it's a very difficult prospect to rank. I'm not sure I ranked him where I'm really comfortable taking him in my top 100. I think I have him in the top 40. You have him and, uh, 37th. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with that at all. I'm tempted to move him down. You know what could be, I mean, you know, I'm just looking through the strikeout leaderboard or, you know, loser boards from last year and, (laughs) you know, looking for a guy who struck out a lot, didn't walk much, didn't hit for a ton of power. You know, there's some good players there. You know, you like Javier Baez. He, you know, I don't know if Drew Waters has, he probably doesn't, he certainly doesn't have the raw power potential that Javier Baez does. Uh, you know, maybe the game power could get close. What Yohan Moncada did last season when you talk about a guy who consistently runs incredibly high batting averages or batting averages on balls in play. Yeah. That's another one. I, I do think those are like, if you're talking best case scenario comps, 
that's probably what you're looking at for Waters. It, it seems like a very wide range of outcomes for him. And oh, yeah. I, I'd be on the more pessimistic side of those yeah. outcomes because I'm, you know, strikeout rate is like the number one thing I care about from a minor leaguer, and his is, his is terrible. So Yeah, I, I, especially because he just doesn't have the over-the-fence power yet. Yeah. Here's another comp, actually. What about Avisail Garcia? You know, last couple of years, he's been right around a 25% strikeout rate overall, right around a five per, five and a half percent walk rate. I think more speed, though. Runs. More speed than Avi. Um, that's always hard to tell with young guys, especially True. the Braves, because they don't really, yeah. you know, outside of that leadoff spot, nobody runs in their lineup, really. And so, Water's, like best, had, Water's best tool is his defense. So he's like very, very athletic. And if, you know, it, it kind of depends how he develops as a hitter, I think, how much he's actually going to end up stealing bases. But I do think it's there is more speed there than Avisel Garcia. It is uh, it is funny because that does seem to be true based on the scouting reports. And also, he's probably the future left fielder for the Braves. Right, because Chris, Christian, Christian, Pache, Pache? Christian Pache, yeah. He's, and, yeah. Like, he's it's like gonna the be... best... He might be the best defensive center field prospect since Andrew Jones. I mean, he's, he's clearly the center fielder of the future there. Yeah, a lot of volatility with Drew Waters, so just be careful in a dynasty league or in a keeper league where you want to hold on to prospects. It was tough Ow. to find a comp, I, but he's such an aggressive swinger. I was thinking Ahmed Rosario, but in the outfield. Like a Man, 260 Ahmed Rosario bat. did not strike out nearly that much in the, in the minors. It's I, true. Ahmed Rosario was like a like a 65 70 hit tool guy coming up as a prospect. He kind of fell apart in the majors, but yeah, that was his calling card. I just, I thought like 10 homers, 20 steals is something that might be realistic for waters. I don't know. Maybe the power improves. So, I mean, you, you throw out like Baez, but that's like a 99th yeah. percentile yeah. outcome for if drew waters. Pow- if the power is only Ahmed Rosario level, like drew, drew waters is going to be a bust. Here's, here's, out here's the player comp for Drew Waters, a player you want to sell before the 2020 season begins. A player who, as soon as he gets called up, then you sell him. I mean, I could just, I could see, like, this is a guy who's minor league scouting reports, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Uh, Far outstrip what he's actually done as a hitter. And maybe he becomes that Francisco Lindor type of guy. He is very young. I will give him that. He reached... Triple A as a 20-year-old. He has a lot going that going for him. He was what you know, I think the second youngest player in his draft. Um, but yeah, that, that's just one that I, I could see the the shine rubbing off very quickly. Let's move over to some pitchers. Matt Manning. Everyone talks about Casey Mize. Matt Manning is the number two prospect in the Tigers organization. First round pick back in 2016. He is 22 years old, 6'6. Big righty on the mound, has a plus fastball and a plus curveball. The changeup has become, I would say, an adequate pitch based on everything that I've read about him. Chris, we'll start off with you this time. What do you think about Matt Manning, what he's done so far? Has he been a little bit overshadowed by Casey Mize? Um, yeah, I actually don't really love Casey Mize from you know what I've read. The it sound it seems like the strikeouts should be there and they aren't the arm troubles are really troubling for Casey Mize. So I think you could make a case for Matt Manning as the best pitching prospect in the Tigers organization. I think you could make a case for Tariq Skubal 
Scooble? I don't know how to pronounce that. Scooble. Sorry. Uh, I think you can make a case for all of them. Um, if you want a major league comp, which is the thing that we're doing here. <laughs> um, gosh. I mean, it's, it's a good profile. 10 strikeouts per nine last year, 10.6 walks, uh, 0.5 home runs. He's done a really good job limiting hits and home runs. So well, what's that walk look, rate? Uh, 2.6 per nine last year, 3.9 okay. the year before. Okay. Um, so big step forward, did sacrifice some strikeouts in the process. Um, it actually looks a lot like Jose Barrios in the minors. You know, Barrios had more consistent control, but what Manning did last season in particular looks a lot like what Jose Barrios did. You would hope that he would be more of a strikeout guy than Barrios, but yeah. then when you look at the actual, uh, you know, pitches that he throws, you know, it's a, a good but not elite velocity fastball, a good breaking ball. His is more, I think, of a 12-6 curve than that big slurvy, slurvy thing that Jose Barrios throws. Uh, and then he's got that changeup that's a work in progress. So, you know, in terms of that, you know, limiting hard contact, you know, that could be – it actually – what he did last year is almost a dead ringer for Jose Barrios' entire minor league career. That's not bad. I really like that Barrios call. Scott, you know, what I was thinking was Zach Wheeler, except, like, if Zach Wheeler were actually good. Like, 2018 Zach Wheeler. Yeah, I think that's more along the profile I was thinking, too. He might have control problems. He should be a pretty good ground ball pitcher. Um, You know, upside, I think, something like Charlie Morton. uh, Fastball, curveball heavy guy who, you know, if he if he ends up missing a lot of bats. But, you know, the more reasonable comps. Uh, yeah, I, I think I like that Wheeler one. Yeah, Wheeler's a good one. He's another guy who, you know, he has run pretty low Babbitts throughout his career, I'm pretty sure. You know, right around a strikeout per inning. He kind of one, like... One, two... Oh, Babbitt, sorry. I was thinking yeah. Whip, sorry. Yeah, he's kind of like... He's one of those guys who's just kind of like a B and everything like he doesn't have great control but it's not horrible he doesn't have great strikeouts it's not horrible although it feels like it should be more very different pitch mix than what manning has you know i think he's got a you know wheeler's like a four or five pitch guy yeah and he's more fastball slider heavy he mixes in some other pitches like curveballs around nine ten percent the past couple of years for wheeler uh, and again splitter the last couple of years right uh the splitter it might be classified as a changeup. I think yeah. he throws his changeup with a split grip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's I was maybe it's not giving Matt Manning enough praise as he deserves, but yeah, I, I was thinking somewhere along those lines where, you know, he can turn out to be an SP, maybe low in SP two, high in SP three for fantasy. Uh Sonny Gray was another one that potentially came to mind. Well, you say maybe it's not giving Matt Manning Manning enough credit, and I I usually I usually like the upside comps more. I know some prospect evaluators really bristle with that because, of course, the upside outcome is not the most likely outcome. I think that's understood anytime you're evaluating prospects. But you know, when Zach Wheeler himself was a prospect, I think he was considered an even better prospect than Matt Manning. So, was he a bust becoming what he is? No, not at all. It's just. He just earned a lot of money. <laughs> he just didn't. He, he just didn't hit his ultimate upside. Right. Zach, I mean, Zach Wheeler was the 
was the centerpiece of the Carlos Beltran trade, right? Yeah. And that yeah. was, Giants, that Giants was a mess. mega blockbuster. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk about our final prospect here for today and might be the pitching version of Drew Waters, who we've already talked about, where a potential volatile um, kind of uh, persona here, persona's not the right word, um, projection here for Luis Patino, the number three prospect in the Padres organization. He is just 20 years old, big fastball, mid to upper 90s, 60 grade slider, but doesn't really have that third pitch. There's talk that he's working on the changeup, but struggles against left-handed batters. Um, Scott, what do you think about Luis Patino of the San Diego Padres? I'm high on him. I think higher than than Manning. Yeah, definitely higher than Manning. I, I yeah. that sounds a lot like Luis Severino to me uh, when he was first getting called up. Uh, obviously, you can't really aim much higher than Luis Severino when you're talking about comps, but. You know, Patino gets a 65 grade overall from Baseball America. That's you don't see many pitchers get a grade that high from them. And he has the elite velocity. The velocity's really gone up the past few years. And he has that elite secondary pitch. I think his controls good too uh, already. Last and year he and was he did at that as a 20 year old. You know, he made 19, it to double 19 A. 19 year old. 19 year old making it to double A. So he's like already well ahead of the curve. So yeah, I think there's a lot of upside here. Yeah, he didn't turn 20 until the end of last season. So he is extremely young. This is his age 20 season. He already made it to double A. Um, you know, only for a, a couple cup of coffee. Um, but, you know, one thing that I'm looking at here, um, on baseball perspectives, I'm looking at their Padres top 10. And Wilson Caraman is the writer of this piece. And, you know, he said that when he watched Luis Patino on a, on a scouting trip earlier, in the, you know, around mid season last year, he actually said he had a 60 grade on three of his pitches, mm-hmm. you know? So the, the changeup certainly sounds like it needs work. And he had some split issues. I think last year, you know, left-handed hitters hit him pretty hard, Yep. but you know, that's normal, <laughs> like big fastball, great slider, developing change. And he throws a, a cutter as well um that's like kind of your there's like 40 right-handed starting pitching prospects of various quality within uh, any like random top 150 you could find but he sounds like he's one of the better ones you know it, the there's some deception in the delivery the the velocity's great and he's super young so you know he's someone yeah. who could absolutely be in the rotation by 21 and those types of dudes they don't usually work out at starting pitcher. It's not quite as a sure thing as hitters like we talked about the other day. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're 21 and you're a legitimate rotation option, you're pretty good. Yeah, you, you hear the Tigers trio of pitching prospects talked about a lot. Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal, and Matt Manning. And, and deservedly, I mean, they're all great pitching prospects. But the trio the Padres project to have yeah. with... Chris Paddock, who obviously just graduated, Mackenzie Gore, the top pitching prospect of baseball, and then this guy, Luis Patino, who I would rank at least ahead of two of those three Tigers pitchers. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that has the potential to be a scary threesome. Granted, we've seen a lot of pitching prospect threesomes <laughs> who never panned out. History is full of them. But considering the Padres are already one-third of the way there with Paddock and Gore, I would be... I would be stunned if Gore is not 
at least a good pitcher in the majors. Yeah, they, oh. they should be in good shape, the Padres. And they're, you know, Patino and Gore are both super young. That's, mm-hmm. that's another key part of it. The last thing I'll add on Patino was last year, the walk rate, uh, three and a half walks per nine at high A ball, and then it was super small sample size. It was two starts, but it was 4.7 walks per nine at double A. So I was thinking somewhere between like Denelson Lamette and Luis Castillo as potential yeah, player comps. Yeah, Castillo Castillo seems like a good one too. I mean, I, I he, Castillo and Severino are similar in that they both really just have two great pitches and mm-hmm. struggled to develop the third, but it's like opposite what their great secondary pitch is. Castillo has the changeup, Severino the slider. If if Patino's control doesn't develop, it's probably more like a Luis Luis Castillo outcome than than Severino. You know, it's it is so easy for every other pitching prospect to develop a good breaking ball. Why does Luis Castillo struggle so much? Like he is like if he he is the the like the ideal platform from which you would want to build a pitching prospect because he's got the elite velocity, which you can't teach, as they say. And he's got the changeup, which you can teach, but takes a really long time, and most guys never figure it out. It's just, like, mind-boggling. And it boggles, is a, a boggles na- the mind. a nasty changeup. Maybe the best in baseball right now from Luis Castillo. His slider's not terrible, Chris. It's, like, well, no, adequate, it, it, you know? It's Chris Paddock is kind of the the actual version of that. Right. Because he's also got that incredible changeup. He doesn't have the elite fastball velocity, but it's a good pitch because it's deceptive. Um, but yeah, it's like, come on guys. <laughs> come on guys. On? Just Why like that. Make, like make your fingers work. You know, do this thing, do this thing, something like that. All right. That's we're going to take, that's for those of you watching. Yeah. yeah if you're yeah, watching that, bonus. that's what you get. You get, apparently you get pitch grips now from Chris Towers <laughs> here on the fantasy baseball today, YouTube channel, something I didn't know he was capable of, but you find something new every day. I'm uh, going to take a quick break. First, just want to remind everyone to join our Facebook, uh, fantasy baseball today, Facebook group, fun conversations. There are leagues that you can join. Hopefully eventually when we have a baseball season, uh, we interact with you guys. We do a couple of, uh, weekly Q&As over there on Facebook. So make sure you join facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a look at some of Scott's dynasty rankings. This time we're looking at outfielders. We'll be right back. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, we're back here on Fantasy Baseball today. The top 75 outfield ranks for Scott White in Dynasty Leagues. This is now live on cbsports.com where you can go and find those. And we had a conversation yesterday about starting pitchers in Dynasty Leagues and basically how Scott ranked them. He used this system of present value, future value, and confidence. He ranked them based on a one through five point system. He did the same thing for his outfield ranks. And before I really want to focus on the top 20, and you can see all the top 75 again at cbsports.com. I noticed Kyle Tucker is outside the top 20 at 23. So what ultimately went into that decision, Scott? Because I know we talk a lot about Kyle Tucker here on the show and we're excited about him in Dynasty Leagues. Is it just so, is it just because you're kind of uncertain about what he's going to provide this season in the present? Yeah, he only gets a two for present value. It couldn't, you know, if I was more confident in the playing time, it'd be a three. And that would move him up several spots. Uh, there are a lot of, I mean, 23rd, that's compared to where he's going in redraft leagues. It's a pretty nice move up the list. And, you know, the outfielders ahead of him are pretty good. The one, the one, if I may take exception to myself, <laughs> the one I'm questioning is Joe Adele ahead of Kyle Tucker. Uh, and I'm not sure I feel great about that. And part of it is just because I think, I think if you're doing, if you're starting a draft right now in a dynasty league, it's that whole playing to the result thing that I do. Um, you're probably going to have to draft Joe Adele ahead of Kyle Tucker. So yeah. if you want them both like this, I, I feel like this is how I need to rank them. But, you know, if, if you were to examine my heart, I would probably rather have Kyle Tucker than Joe Adele. Well, and, you know, you've got this number system. You just got to trust it, Scott. For a four confidence for Joe Adele, that's that's too high, man. Well, the confidence is it's easier to get a higher confidence rating when one of the present or future values is one, right? So I give only Joe Adele only a one for present value, so I can have more confidence in that than I can a two for Kyle Tucker present value. But yeah, no, I mean you're right. You, I could. I could easily knock Joe Adele confidence level down to three, and then he's behind Kyle Tucker. Like, I really like Joe Adele. I'm really excited about him. Uh, I think he's going to be very good. There is just a teeny tiny bit of, and more than a teeny tiny bit of Byron Buxton in his minor league track record so far. Yeah. Scatter reports are incredible. They could not be more glowing. Production, a little more in the very good range than the incredible range. Some injury concerns. Obviously, last year was sort of a freak thing, but that was a serious injury that he suffered. I think it was both a hamstring and ankle injury. Uh, suffered while running the bases. Doesn't run as much as you would hope. Strikes out a little bit more than you would hope. Yeah, you know, that that's one where you know I do look at Joe Adele, and as much as I do like him, I, I think I would rather have Kyle Tucker. I hear you. I think I agree. And I don't think I don't feel good about the four confidence I give him. I don't feel good when we, when we do shortstops. I've given Wander Franco a five confidence. I don't feel good about giving any prospect a five. And I guess that is 
that's me cheating. It's me cheating. <laughs> like it's, it's me cheating. Like for the most part, adding these three numbers together and then ranking players according to that works. But for really, really high-end prospects who aren't contributing this year, having a one in the present value column, which I have to give them if they're not going to play this year, um, that lowers their that lowers their cumulative score, dropping them to a point in the rankings where I, I think it's too low. So I have to cheat with by giving them a higher confidence rating. I'll admit gotta, it. That's exactly what I'm doing, but. I have to be able to stand by my rankings. You got to pull a uh, a pitchfork and just go with the <laughs> absurdly. I don't know if you guys know, Pitchfork is a media, a music criticism site that is famous for its reviews, which are on a ten point scale with decimals, which yeah. is absurdly uh, like prissy. I guess like there's no way you could actually ever say this album's a 9.9, but that one's a 9.7. It's, it's a totally absurd concept and that's why they do it. You just got to go with that, man. You just got to go with a scale one to 10 with decimals. And that way you can just actually just rank them and then retrofit it afterwards. I know it's, <laughs> it's, it's imperfect, but I, I like it. It's fun. I like it too. Let's look at these top 20 outfielder ranks starting at number 20 and uh, working our way up towards number one. At 20, you have Victor Robles. You mentioned Joe Adele, 19. J.D. Martinez, Shohei Otani. Why is Shohei Otani in the outfield? I just realized, Scott. Uh, I put, for the DH-only players, since I'm not going to have like a DH-only Okay, column, just to give I, people I an idea. the position where they're most likely to gain eligibility. Realistically, okay. Otani's never going to be eligible anywhere but DH. But, yeah. you know, in a pinch, that's where they'd play him is the outfield. Fair enough. Joey Gallo at 16, Chris Bryant at 15, George Springer 14, Luis Robert at 13, Eloy Jimenez, and then Cattell Marte at 11. Chris, I want to ask you this. They're back-to-back. They play on the same team. Who would you rather have in a dynasty league between Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert? Uh, man, I... <laughs> That's a tough a one. struggle. Well, because you're, you're, you're kind of putting two different things that I care a lot about, which is Eloy Jimenez has actually done it at the major league level to at least a certain extent. Uh, Luis Robert never has. He's only really had one season where he's performed at the level where we would think he's a top prospect, but his, his skill set is so much more interesting for fantasy. So I think I go with Eloy Jimenez over Luis Robert, but begrudgingly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I really struggle with it. And I also like, I look at them at 12 and 13. That also feels wrong, but I can't necessarily look at the guys below them and say that it's super wrong. But then I think like Kyle Tucker versus Luis Robert, it's really close in my head too. So I'm all over the place. I don't know what to do. I'm glad I don't have to do rankings. That's the best part of my job is I never have to actually rank things. <laughs> just nitpick. Yeah, you just get yeah. to criticize them. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's the best job. No, it's it's something that when I did rankings, I really struggled with is like this like transitive property thing where like I might like player one more than player two, but then I like player two more than player three, but then I like player three more than player one. It's just like it it shouldn't make sense and it doesn't, but it's really hard to actually like especially when you're talking about dynasty and when, especially when you're talking about young guys who we don't actually know. So overall, Kyle Tucker should be 11th. The mathematician statistician that Chris Towers is, I don't know what other fantasy baseball podcasts are going to hear the transitive property talked about, but 
There you go. That's what Chris Towers brings to the table. Scott, you have Eloy and Robert, both as a three in present value, a five in future value, and a three in confidence. So mm-hmm. they have the same rating across the board. Mm-hmm. Who yep. would you actually prefer if you were on the clock? Eloy Jimenez. Yeah. You know, if if we were to chop up that confidence ranking, uh, you know, Roberts would be more Robert would be more like a two point five, and Aloy Jimenez like a true three. Um, so that would be, yeah that 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 would be why I prefer Jimenez. But it's it's close. It's close in my redraft rankings too. I, I know I'm particularly low on Jimenez, which is what makes them close. But they're they're only a few spots apart there in my outfield rankings. All right, so let's take a look at the top 10 here. You have Austin Meadows, spoke a lot about him yesterday. Bryce Harper at number nine. Aaron Judge, eight. Jordan Alvarez, for the same reason we mentioned Otani, he's number seven. Uh, Then Mookie Betts, Christian Yelich, Mike Trout, Cody Bellinger, Juan Soto, and Ronald Acuna. And I will point out that one through six on this list, from Acuna through Betts, everybody has fives across the board. And, and rightfully so. It's really hard to argue that. And Scott, I love the fact that you put Juan Soto second. I know you know some people are going to say, oh, well, you know, Trout's still going to be the best player in baseball for the next, whatever it might be, two, three, maybe five years. Nobody knows for sure. But I mentioned this Dynasty startup I did a lot. Um, I'm, and I did it recently. I had the second overall pick in a 5x5 five five LBP, and I took Juan Soto over Mike Trout. So I, lo- I love the ranking there. Yeah, and that's this is a recent adjustment I made. Uh, the more I thought about it, the more I saw other people doing it. When we've done these uh, dynasty startup mocks, I just I it felt uh, it, I started to feel like I was being dishonest with myself not ranking Soto second. I mean, it's just for being a 21 year old, that profile seems so safe. Like he's already he's already doing things that like you. you you know, it, it takes some players, some really, really good players, like five years to to reach that level of skill with the bat, uh, making contact that often, being that patient at the plate. And he's doing it at 21. So it's it's hard to envision things going wrong there. Certainly Trout, you can't really, upside-wise, there's, there's you, you can't put Trout behind anyone. But how how much longer... I think it's a fair question to ask because, I mean, Trout is so good in so many ways that you just expect him to cruise until his mid-30s. But he's been banged up a lot in recent years. and But there's been zero. Like, he gets better every year. He just doesn't play the full season. and But they've all been kind of random injuries. I, I, I understand. But when you're talking about number two... And your comparison is Juan Soto. I mean, of course, you have to be a little bit nitpicky. And and when you dynasty, you're talking a long-term perspective. I don't know. I, I could see how I don't I don't even want to say it because it's such a horrible thought, but the way Ken Griffey Jr.'s career unfolded, where once he got to 30, he just couldn't stay on the field. And his final career line ended up being just the first half of his career, basically. Uh, with except for a couple of seasons where he stayed healthy and put up pretty good numbers with the Reds, but like I, I don't know, Trout's been banged up a lot lately, and 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 because he runs so much and he plays uh, 
demanding position defensively. Like I, I don't know. I could just see how he could have trouble staying healthy in the latter stages of his career. So this is going to upset people. It always does. Uh, Mike Trout's a far better player than Ken Griffey Jr. ever was. Um, do not at me. I know it's controversial. It shouldn't be. It's not really relevant to the discussion. No, no, but, but it is. Controversial. It is. No, no, no. <laughs> it is in this way. When you compare, you know, the kind of people you're comparing Mike Trout to in terms of both greatness but also skill set, mm-hmm. you're talking about not Ken Griffey Jr., you're talking about Barry Bonds. You're talking about Mickey Mantle. You're talking about Willie Mays. You're talking about, you know, Mike Schmidt is another guy who the numbers weren't, they don't wow you the same way the other guys do, but it's that he's an A plus at every single thing on a baseball field. Whereas Ken Griffey Jr. was very good defender, very good contact hitter, great power hitter. Didn't have great plate discipline. Some B pluses um, with the A pluses. Yeah, that's the thing. And so, you know, Barry Bonds, A plus across the board. Even Ricky Henderson, another guy, there were more B pluses in there, but, you know, he was elite at getting on base. He was elite at, you know, base running. He had that athleticism. He was a great hitter overall. I just, when I look at what happened to Ken Griffey Jr., the injuries are a part of it, but it was also a skill set that, was less primed to age well compared to what you have from a Mike Trout, a Mickey Mantle, a Willie Mays. Those are all guys who were just awesome basically forever. You know, Mickey Mantle dealt with a lot of injuries. He was still really good well into his you know mid to late 30s. And so I think we can't predict injuries the last couple of years. You know, the, the injuries have been frustrating. I don't know if I would call them concerning. And I have every reason to believe Mike Trout is going to age as well as any player ever. So you would take him over Juan Soto? Yeah, and this is another one, you know, kind of like the DeGrom versus Bueller Flaherty example, where I do think there is a pretty sizable gap between the two of them. Like Mike Trout was a better Roto player, and I, I don't know if he ranked ahead of him in total head-to-head points. I would guess there was a pretty sizable gap in head-to-head points per game. But in Roto, like he was better than him only playing 136 games. When you do 150 game pace for both of them, you know, he was dramatically better. And so that's where it is where Juan Soto needs to take as good as he is. And Frank, you and I are already, you know, Hall of Fame, baby. Hall of Fame bust. Yeah, you and I are already starting to chisel. Um, he needs several steps to reach Mike Trout in present day value. And, and that's, this it's not realistic, kind of, though, either, because Mike Trout's going to go down as one of the... And may, uh, Mike Trout might be the best player in the history of the game. Exactly. So we're asking Juan Soto to get to that level, and it's just, it's not realistic. But I can see, you know, from a dynasty perspective, seven years younger. Yeah. The fact that Trout undoubtedly has missed time. The past, like, it's just a fact. Yeah. He has missed time the past couple of years. So, I mean, for those reasons, I get it. But if you're just, if you're someone who drafts in a startup dynasty league... For the for that three year time frame that we talk about a lot, three to five years, and you want to yeah. take Trout, like I can't knock you for doing that. He actually he had more fantasy points than Juan Soto last year, playing sixteen less games. I, I think maybe I can sum up the difference between Chris and I. Maybe I don't know. We were trying to get to the bottom of it on Twitter last night, and it wasn't going very well. <laughs> but uh, the difference 
between our philosophies that came up both at starting pitcher and here is I, I think we're basically on the same page in terms of prospects being overvalued generally in dynasty leagues, but with prospects, you know, there's a very real chance they're just bad. They just turn out to be bad players. It's, it's very, it's risky. like 50, 50 for top 100 prospects, but with players that are more or less proven, I definitely prioritize longevity over the degree to how the degree to which they're good. I guess if, if I can trust that they're, they're great already, you know, it doesn't matter as much to me exactly how great they are. I'd rather have the longevity. Um, but you know, there's particularly at pitchers, there's, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times a lack of longevity also speaks to a higher level of provenness. So I get that too, but, yeah. uh, at hitter, I think, like there's there's no reason to doubt how good Juan Soto is going to be. He may not be Mike Trout, but he may be Albert Pujols, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> for me, it just like I think Mike Trout should probably be a six in present value. Juan Soto definitely shouldn't yeah. be a four, but he shouldn't be the same rating as Mike Trout. That it makes is. sense. I know you're That's saying. That's most, and also I'm about as confident that both will be very good for the next seven years. And like, yeah, seven years, you know, the the Yellowstone Caldera may have exploded and fantasy baseball, you know, isn't really, uh, you know, it's not as popular after that. So, you know, I just think like with pitchers, I'm very much a present value is almost all that matters for hitters. You know, the long, the window of, of predictability extends out further, especially with Mike Trout. Like that's, it's a quibble. Um, you know, it's fair. I, it's fair. I mean, originally, I had him ahead of Soto. You go look at my top 150 dynasty overall, which I originally put together in December, I think. And uh, it'll still show Trout ahead of Soto. Once I'm done with these positional things, I'll go update that. But but yeah, no, it's, it's totally fair. You can find the rest of Scott's rankings again over on CBSSports.com. But I want to get to some emails, fantasybaseball at CBSI.com. Continue to send us your emails or... Leave a five-star Apple podcast review and drop a question in there. That's exactly what Gil Cubs 9 did. And he is in a 12-team head-to-head categories league with, with 80 keepers total uh, heading into each year's auction. I have one more uh, post-auction contract extension to offer at a $2 increase, $2 annual increase from his 2020 salary for the 2021 and 2022 seasons. So in a head-to-head categories league, Miguel Sano. At $10, Fran Mil Reyes at $8, Ramon Laureano, $6, J.D. Davis, $5, Max Kepler, $3, Josh James, $3. Scott, who do you want from that group? I'm just reading over the rules again real quick. Yeah, it's a $2 annual increase for the next two seasons after this. Uh, I know this is going to be... I know this is going to be a boring answer coming from me, but uh, but JD Davis, I do, I do. I think Miguel knows the easy answer, but he's already five dollars more, and he's been in the news lately. Which that's uh, the like I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to moralize because like the situation that he's currently in seems very foggy, and we just don't know what's going on. Um, 
so like I, I'm not like being a scold or anything. Like we, I sure really don't know what the situation is, whether he did anything wrong. He has done stuff in the past. Yeah. So it, it, it it's an availability thing. It's yeah. it's not. I was, it's not me moralizing it. It's it's just you yeah. know, I I I could see a point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with his history, you can't count on him always being available to play. I guess is yeah. And even without the off-the-field stuff, he's been injured the past couple of yeah. seasons, so you got to factor all of that in. Chris, what do you think here? Oh, man, I missed Kepler. Don't yeah, that's it's what I was going to ask. You, yeah, don't, you, you don't have J.D. Davis ahead of Kepler, right? No, I don't. I don't. Um, Kepler's $2 cheaper. I mean, I'm not sure that makes a big difference, but it's you know obviously oh. helps if I already have Kepler ranked ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Loriano is in the discussion. I'm... Uh, you know, I, I Frank, you might actually pick Loriano, knowing what you how you feel about him. Yeah, I do uh, like him quite a bit. I'm a little more iffy on him. I think you know he might be more like a 265, 15, 15 guy, which is okay. But you know, I can see a world where Ramon Loriano is not an everyday player for the Athletics in 2021, um, given that his defense rates out actually pretty poorly, despite the incredible highlights. So I would definitely go with Max Kepler. I think they're pretty close in, in 2020 value and you get them for $3 less. Yeah, so for me, it's actually between Kepler and Fran Mil Reyes because this is a head-to-head categories league and I punt steals in this format. So Ramon Loriano's whatever, 10 to 15 steals doesn't really matter much to me. I'll take Max Kepler as well at $3. I like Reyes a lot, but that $5 discount between the yeah. two. Uh, puts Max Kepler over the edge for me. This next one's from Marquise. Greetings, Sammy, Dean, and Frank. Oh, and Adam, if he makes an appearance. Sammy, I Dean, and Frank. I don't remember an Adam in the Rat Pack. Mm. Frank, you're from New York. How do you not know yeah. this? This is, is this? unbelievable. You don't know Sammy, Dean, and Frank? <laughs> Come on. What is this? The Rat Pack. Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, and... Uh, oh. oh, God, I blanked on the name. Sammy Come Davis, on, man. Right? I'm not even 30 years old. I'm supposed to know about this stuff? Sammy Davis, he, has, he hasn't seen any <laughs> the two most famous New York-based sitcoms. He hasn't seen any of it. Right, I'm, but you're, talking yeah. about I'm a Sex fake New Yorker, City. man. But, like, <laughs> I feel like every third restaurant here has, like, a black and white signed autograph of, of Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I, I want to know. All right, well, moving on to the question. <laughs> since teams, Unbelievable. Since teams like the Twins, Brewers, Cubs, maybe the Reds start the season in cold conditions outdoors, is there a possibility playing only in the summer months offenses could benefit? I remember uh, Brian Dozier and the Twins would crush during the summertime. If so, what teams or players should we target? P.S. Scott needs to work on more Michael Kane since he's going to be in Tenet. Hmm. Yeah, I, I saw that. I'm, I'm looking forward to 10. I look forward to every uh, uh, Chris Nolan. Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. Yeah. Brewers, this definitely wouldn't apply to, right? Because they play indoors. For who? The, the Brewers. Brewers. Yeah, that's what I thought of as well. Yeah. yeah um, they have a roof there. I mean, you know, you usually do, like, anecdotally, Twins, Indians, uh, you know, maybe the Cubs, the Reds, like, you do see a lot of cold weather games early in the season. You could go with Colorado as well. They have famously had several snowouts over the last few seasons, which is always fun. I'm always wary of this kind of uh, factor being put in. It's just, 
it's impossible to know who actually does and doesn't benefit versus who had just gotten off to a cold. Like you could get off to a cold start three years in a row and it doesn't necessarily mean you're fated to be a poor starter to the season. Adam LaRoche, uh, I feel like is a great example of someone who I believe his season splits kind of switched as his career went on. I think he was always like, was he really good early in the season and then switched or was it the opposite? I think it was was the other way around. Yeah. He was bad early in the season, but if you look at his career, you know, I last I checked, which was actually a couple months ago for some reason, (laughs) it wasn't, uh, I, I think his career splits had mostly disappeared and generally speaking, when we're talking about any kind of split, the longer you go, those things tend to disappear, which tends to show that they're not real. I, we brought this up recently, and I feel like Adam mentioned uh, Edwin Encarnacion as someone who yes. typically gets off to slow starts and you know could be helped potentially by some warmer weather. Jose Abreu, I've mentioned this before. I mean, he has actually been on record saying that when he first came over his first couple of seasons, he would struggle early on because of the cold weather playing in Chicago because he was from Cuba. So those are just a few names that pop out to me and they're both on the White Sox. Do you have anything to add there, Scott? No, no, not really. Is it just me or do you guys recall? And and I'm sure it would be easy to look up if I cared to invest the time in it, but the Rockies very regularly getting off to really good starts and then just fading th- from the playoff picture as the season plays out. I thought last year a lot of their hitters got off to slow starts because they didn't have a yeah. lot of home games yeah. in the yeah, early I feel months like I remember of the season. that happening last year and it being like an exception. It was very frustrating. I, it probably doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. I don't think it means anything, to yeah. be clear. But it it did cross my mind when we we're thinking about teams that could overachieve during a short season. Like, man, how many playoffs would the Rockies have made if the season ended? <laughs> In mid-May, you know, the the one addendum that I will add to my you know splits generally are meaningless thing is like Coors Field is such a weird place to play that it could be something where if they do play an inordinate number of games on the road or at home early in the season, it could just generally affect not just like the offensive outcomes but just the team as a whole because it's such a different offensive environment. You have to get used to it, and if the Rockies play fifteen of their first twenty-four there they're really used to it and everybody else is not. So it could, you could derive a benefit that disappears over the course of the full season. Fair enough. All right. I had an update on a Twitter poll that I made regarding the snack combos, but I'm going to save that for tomorrow. Hopefully Adam mm. is back on the show. I'll save that for tomorrow. I'm not. Wait, no, you can't say oh, it for yeah, tomorrow. I can't save it show. for tomorrow. All right, Chris, I'll reveal the results right now. Uh, basically, I just asked people if they like, what are your thoughts on combos, the snack? And the three options were, they're awesome, they look gross but taste good, and ew, 48.9% of the vote. Where do you think it went, Chris? Uh, they taste awesome. Or they're awesome. They are awesome. That is exactly right. So take that, Adamazer. Combos are awesome. I'm a man of the people. <laughs> he is a I man am, of the I've people. I've always been known as a populist. <laughs> Chris won't be here tomorrow. Oh, man. But, what I was saying about the Rockies has not been true at all in recent <laughs> years. It was true in 2017, but I'm back to 2014 now, and that's the only time it's been true so far. So 
That seems like a good place to uh, to wrap the show for today. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.